0: The first 10 minutes of this episode will be spoiler-free. And you can find the show notes for this episode at areyoujustwatching.com slash 39. Just watching episode 39 Ender's Game. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin, and I want to tell you I am so excited about actually finally seeing Ender's Game. I have been waiting on this movie for 20 years, if not more. I think I read the book in high school. I can't even really remember when I first read the book, I don't remember what my initial reaction was to the end of the book. So, as soon as I heard that Orson Scott Card was intending to write a screenplay for his best selling novel and turn it into a movie, I got really excited. But then we waited and we waited. And then he wrote Ender's Shadow and then revised the screenplay to fit in some of the storyline that he created with Ender's Shadow. And we waited and we waited and we waited. And eventually, I think most of us kind of just got on with our lives and quit thinking about it. Now, I think maybe the problem with getting Ender's Game into uh, into a movie was the fact that the majority of the cast is children. In fact, the novel, in the novel, Ender starts at the age of six, and at the climax of the movie, he's only 11. And he's working with a bunch of other kids his age, mostly boys, and it's interesting, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 year olds that you're working with, there just aren't that many excellent child stars out there. You can get one or two, but to fill an entire cast of armies with children that age is, I would say, probably nearly impossible and get to get good actors anyway. And I know that from being on Orson Scott Card's website for many years, uh, when they, when he initially tried to sell his own personal screenplay, which he did not write the screenplay that this movie was made with. um, They were having problems finding directors as well, because I think most A-list directors don't want to work with children. You know, you're asking for disaster. You know, it just took a long time for all of the right ingredients to come together uh, for this movie. I think the way they got around uh, some of the difficulties with, you know, the age of children and all of that for for this particular version of the story was they condensed it. Uh, they condensed the and everything that is of vital importance in the book uh, happens in this movie. However, it happens to an older Ender. So instead of him being six at the beginning, he's already. Uh, I'm not sure they actually say how old he is in the movie, but you know, ten or eleven. That's what you're supposed to assume. So he, they're working with an older Ender. They've condensed all of the action. All of the events into a shorter period of time, so that he doesn't age much throughout the movie. He's he's really pretty much the same age from beginning to end, and I think that's how they got away with got away with making it without having to deal with having him portrayed by multiple actors and everything else. Um, Asa Butterfield did a really terrific job playing Ender. I mean he he got all of the sensitivity of and genius of this character. And it just it really worked. I'm i am glad they picked him he I've never seen him in any of his movie other other movies that he's played in. I've i have not seen any of those movies. So I really didn't know what to expect. And you have to take into account that Harrison Ford is in this movie. And Harrison Ford, I don't believe I've ever seen him in a bad movie. It just if he's in a movie, he tends to bring his excellence to that movie. And so picking him for the character of Graf was just inspired. And I'm glad that he was willing to take the role because he added so much to being in this movie. I would have gone and seen it even if Harrison Ford wasn't in it, but it made me that much more excited about the movie because he participated. Now, a lot of people are going to think because the cast majority of the cast in this movie are children, that it is a children's movie. This movie is not a children's movie. And it's not because there's anything bad in it. It's actually a very clean movie, except for the violence, which, you know, it's, it's about war and battles and stuff. So you're not going to get away from the violence. But it is really about um, some very complex themes. And so the story itself, even though they've condensed it and got mostly the action bits into the movie, it's still a very complex story. It's going to go over a lot of kids' heads. So I really believe the PG-13 is probably a good um, a good age range for the movie, even though there are younger children portrayed in the movie itself. It just is a little too complex for the average child. They're going to sit there and scratch their head. They're not going to understand what's going on. And like I said, it is clean. There's no sex. Um, there's no language. It's, it's very, uh, focused on the point of the movie, the war games and, and, and what happens to Ender. And it's, it's got a couple instances of a one-on-one fight, uh, very good, uh, examples of bullying, in fact, because both of the instances are bigger, stronger, ki- older kids going after Ender and he has to defend himself. So, there is that in there and but I wouldn't I wouldn't take a child a younger child to this movie older mid to older teen possibly but it's not a teen angst movie either it is a movie for adults I think anybody um, from probably mid teens all the way up uh, is gonna enjoy this movie because it carries some very complex themes now this the soundtrack for Ender's Game is a very moody soundtrack. It's very eerie at the beginning. Uh, it, it, it has a lot of repetitive themes in it, and it's it's not uh, high action. Even in, even when you're at the high, highest uh, points of action in the movie, the, the music never really breaks the mold. But it's beautiful. It's, it's by Steve Jablonski, and I'll play a little bit of it here for you. things that I find so fascinating about Ender's Game is, is that the, the story itself, the technology that he works into the, the novel, uh, was way ahead of its time. The, the original story was a novella, and he published it in 1977. He expanded it to a novel-length work and published it again in 1985. Now, in the, now for me, I was a child in the 80s. And I remember what technology was like back then. We had big, clunky computers. The Internet was just a dream. Nobody knew about it. Uh, I believe you could hook your computers up to modems and talk to other computers, but there wasn't anything like the net or anything like that. So in a way, Orson Scott Card was a prophet because he has all of this technology that he had in the book. If you go and read the book, it doesn't even feel like you're reading something dated because they carry around electronic desks that they play games on and they have uh, the net uh, in the in the book. It's not actually seen as, as much in the movie because they leave out a good half of the story uh, dealing with Ender's brother and sister. But there's all of this stuff in, in his books that is just high-tech stuff. I mean, zero-G battle rooms and... Uh, the the desks are what really fascinate me as they carry around these little portable desks. And who in the 80s ever dreamed that we would have tablet computers even in just 10, 20 years? And I have one myself. I love it. I'm, I'm kind of addicted to it. I play games on it, check my email. I can carry it around with me anywhere. Um, that's kind of the desk that they have and they show that in the movie and you don't even think anything of it because that's high tech these days and it's just commonplace. Everybody has one. But when he wrote this book, they didn't exist. And so I'm just really fascinated by Orson's card's level of uh, futurism that he could foretell some of the technology that we would have um, not that far into the future. Now, if you have not read the book and you have not yet gone to see the movie, you need to turn this podcast off. This movie has a very surprise ending on the end, and I do not want to ruin it for you. I have spent many, many years telling people to read this book, and I have managed never to ruin the ending for any of them. It's like, here, it's a Cinder's Game. It's a masterpiece. Read it. I can't tell you how it ends. You've got to be surprised. That's part of the impact of the story. If if I tell you how it ends before you've seen it or read the book, um, you're going to be highly uh, disappointed because... It's kind of the whole point from the title down to uh, what they're doing in the story. The, that is the point is to be surprised by the ending. And so I want you to turn this off. Now, if you want to uh, hear other reviews about the movie before you go to see it, I do recommend that you go check out uh, Plugged In online or PluggedIn.com, which is the focus on the family movie review. They review a lot of movies. Uh, for the family. But I did check their review out and they do have do spoil the ending a bit uh, in their review. So I, you might just want to go see it for yourself. Uh, so okay, I'm assuming everybody who's still here has either read the book or gone to see the movie, because now we're going to talk about Ender's Game. And boy, I tell you, I am so excited about this. It's hard for me to think critically about this movie because I have waited so long for it. Now I'm going to start out just a little bit by talking about avoiding distractions. Uh, the The whole setup for Ender going into the battle games uh, was him, he was taken away from his family. Now in the book, he was taken away from his family at age six. He was very impressionable, very young. In fact, in the, in the book, they make, uh, Orson Scott card makes a point of the dialogue saying that these are all prepubescent children. They haven't even reached maturity yet. And so there are a few girls in there, but they, um, they're just like one of the boys because they haven't reached sexual maturity yet. Uh, they all sleep in the nude. There's, um, no sexual attraction going on. Boys and girls are not simply, I just don't think about that kind of stuff at that age. And so, uh, I was a little surprised. Well, not, I guess to keep the thing wholesome, they couldn't obviously have the kids sleeping in the nude, but because they have an older ender and they're starting the story a little uh, later in life for these kids, uh, all of the children are dressed in undies and they made a point of saying that they had separate bathroom facilities for the boys and the girls. And I, I almost found that a little bit of a distraction in the movie that they had, they had to, um, make this kind of segregation of the sexes because it was so across the board. Everybody was together in the book. It just kind of really popped out to me that they had this um, sexual segregation going on, which they would have to because when you see Petra, uh, who's the main character in the book, Uh, she's older than Ender in the book. In the the movie, she's about the same age, and she is obviously developing. So there is that issue of of when they reach a certain age, there is a difference between the genders, and they do need to be separated just for safety's sake. Um, They're young children with hormones, and so you do have to separate them to some extent. Which brings me to one of the points I, I thought was interesting about the movie is they do kind of throw in a little bit of a romance between Petra and Ender, it's not in the book. There is never any... In fact, Ender goes through a good bit of his life uh, not even paying attention to women. Uh, his one love in life is his sister Valentine, and it's a, a brotherly, sisterly love. He never really pays that much t- attention to women. Even if you read uh, further on in his life in the series, uh, there never really is ever a romantic attraction for him, even when he does eventually marry. Uh, you don't sense that there is... um Just a huge romance there. Now, I find it interesting that they built this romantic element into the movie that was not in the book. And I suspect they did that because they felt that being a teen movie, there had to be something in there. And so they make Petra and Ender a little closer, uh, a little more tied together in this movie than, than he is the way they are portrayed in the book. And like I said, Petra is a great deal older than Ender in the book. So there is um, a little less likelihood for that attraction to build up. Now Ender is um, purposely isolated by his teachers. They want him to figure out how to find solutions to problems without leaning on anybody. They have Kept him from writing home, he's not able to get his letters to his sister and his parents, and he's not getting letters back from them, so there's no communication there. He's early on uh they kind of force him to uh think on his feet uh, even when they take the monitor out, which is an aspect of the story where uh they've been watching through his eyes to see whether he's the one that they're looking for. And they take the monitor out to see what will happen when the kids know he's now without his you know bodyguards basically watching everything he does. And so he gets ganged up on, and i'll I'll get back to that later because that has to deal with uh, bullying. But they never interfere. It's like whenever he is faced with a problem, he has to figure out how to get out of that problem by himself. And part of that is you know that as they as Graf keeps saying in the movie, it's to toughen him up so that he'll be a good soldier. But it's actually if if you've read the book, you know that there is actually a little more to it than that, because his genius is to be able to find solutions to problems that even the adults don't know how to solve. They can't get him used to turning to other people to fix his problems. He's got to use his own genius to figure out what the solution is and so they're they're helping him develop a level of genius that they themselves don't even have and so by keeping him from knowing that anybody's ever going to step in and help him he's always got to make make up his own uh, solutions to the problems that he comes up with now Ender himself is actually a volunteer because even in the book, at age six, Graf comes and takes him from the house and gets him to voluntarily enter the program. So they don't want uh, recruits that don't want to be a part of the program. They want people, they want the young people to want to strive and do their best. And so they need them to volunteer. And one of the things that ma- this made me think of, the the fact that they have uh, isolated him, and but yet he volunteered for it so that he could focus on what they needed him to become, um, was some a statement Jesus made. It actually appears in all of the Gospels, but I chose the Luke passage here. It's Luke 14, uh, 26 through 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple, who do, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so it, it, in Christianity, when, when we approach what uh, God wants us to be, to become disciples and serve him, it, it's almost the same thing where we have to uh, put behind us the distractions of this world so that we can focus on God's kingdom. And and, it, and in the biblical terms here, that almost appears like hate, like you've just turned your back on all of those, uh, relationships that should be important to you, but yet you've turned your back on them because the relationship with you that you have with God is more important and you have to avoid those distractions. In fact, Paul will later on say in one of his epistles that he actually recommends people not to be married. Now that is, um, uh, he kind of couches that in terms of you don't want to be, uh, if if you're going to burn with lust, then you should be married to satisfy the needs of the flesh. But if you don't burn with lust, then you shouldn't get married, you should be able to focus your energies and all of your time and your effort into serving the Lord. And if and if you get married, then you have to divide your energies and spend some of that on your spouse. And I think that's where Paul was coming from. It's, it's not uh, saying that you can't get married or that you shouldn't get married, but that you should avoid distractions that will take you away from serving the Lord. And so, I thought that was kind of interesting that uh, that Ender is forced to uh, basically avoid distractions when he's taken to battle school. They're they're literally he's he's volunteered to cut himself off of from every uh, love uh, that he has, especially leaving behind his sister Valentine, who is pretty much everything to him and not even being able to communicate with her. Now, both in the book and in the movie, there are two instances where the the administrators of the battle school have to call on Valentine to help get Ender through some tough tough points in his um, progression, in his uh, growing up to become this great military commander that they need him to be. But uh, those were situations where both Valentine and Ender knew that Valentine was being used in order to keep him Uh, going on to keep to just give him that little bit of motivation to continue on now one of the biggest themes that is running throughout this movie also through the book is the uh, the idea of um, winning a fight for all of the times that basically winning all the fights and it comes about the first time you see it is a fight that um, Ender has with a bully uh, who comes after him right after he has his monitor removed. And he, he basically teases the boy into making it a one-on-one fight. He comes after Ender with a pack of kids. And he you know, says, he, I'm one scrawny little boy. You need a whole pack of kids to hold me down You know, while you beat me up. And then uh, he fights. Uh, the kid's name is Stilson. He fights him. And he actually knocks him down and then continues to kick him and beat on him and kick on him until... Um, he he. Tell he's basically knocked the kid completely out. In fact, we find out um, that he actually kills the kid. You now you would think this would mean that Ender was an extremely violent child, but he wasn't. He was actually just thinking ahead. He's like, if I if I get out of this situation, they're just going to come after me with more people the next time, and then the next time, and then the next time. And so he's thinking, if I beat this kid up completely now. It'll prevent all fights in the future, so I don't ever have to do this again. It's just the one time. And when they asked him um, why he fought this kid the way he did, that was his response. It's like, I won all the fights. And this comes up again later when he has a, a fight with a, a boy in the battle school. And it's another situation where it, it's not so much in the movie. In the movie, they show um, they don't show that he actually killed the boy but in the book it's very obvious that at the end of the fight um, the boy he fought is dead and it's another situation where he's like if I if I don't ultimately just finish this fight now I'm going to keep having to refight it and I just want to fight it once and in a way that's what the whole setup they're training him to think that way because they're having the the whole background the whole underlying story of and I'm really hoping you've seen the movie, so you know this, uh, is that these Formics, these buggers, have uh, attacked Earth twice. There's been two invasions, um, both of which uh, the uh, we barely survived. The humanity just, just on a fluke, basically won the wars, and they are afraid that they will, that the Formics will come back, and that they won't be able to win the next battle so they're really training ender to think in the aspect of we want to win this fight finally just finish it we don't have to worry about it anymore and the idea is is that they've sent the fleet out um to all of the home worlds of the formix and they have in the movie it, almost, it makes it look like there's only one but they in the book there's actually multiple colonies uh throughout the galaxy that they have to send fleets to and they are going to take each of these colonies out including the homeworld, one at a time so that they can win this war once and for all now there's no communication there's there's no way for the formics to communicate with humanity and humanity to communicate with formics they just are not compatible there's no way for them to talk to each other and so in in the i in the and so in the minds of men, the only thing they can think of is that we just have to win this fight. We've got to finish it and never have to worry about it again. And so that's this this whole mentality that Ender has got it naturally what they're looking for in a commander, somebody who can just win the fight once and for all. Now, the concept of bullying that comes up in here, it's very interesting that obviously they are talking about fighting back and winning the the fight and but there is kind of a, a feeling of negativity about this whole ganging up on the little kid and uh it happens it's an, it's a part of human nature it's kind of sad but in scripture there's there's a different take on this and this is this comes right out of the sermon on the mount it's in Matthew 5 uh the verses I'm going to read um going to read quite a bit here but the verses I'm going to read are 38 through 44 Says, this is Jesus' own words. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so there's a level of compassion in scripture that, that we are supposed to approach uh, people who wrong us in a totally different attitude. This is the mind of Christ that we're supposed to take on and not necessarily because he wants us to be victims. I don't think that that is the thought whatsoever. Jesus himself died on the cross. He turned the cheek ultimately to those who wished him ill and he did it because he was giving his life for us and it's the ultimate example of of giving yourself and and not fighting back and so it's a different take on it by all means now it's interesting the whole love your enemy bit that's actually a part of Ender too it's part of his compassion the way he he views the people that come up against him and this is and i i took this quote from the book, um, because it's really hard to take notes in the the dark. But this quote was actually I'm not sure if this was word for word, but it was in the movie. Um, this is what he's he's talking to Valentine at this point. In the moment when I truly understand my enemy, understand him enough to defeat him, then in that very moment, I also love him. I think it's impossible to really understand somebody what they want, what they believe, and not love them the way they love themselves. So Ender, his special gift is that he's able to understand other people enough to love them. But unfortunately, he's been trained to become a soldier. And so he takes that love the next step. And once I know you completely, I know what your weaknesses are, and then I can ultimately destroy you. And that is a part that in his sensitive nature, they use against him. It's a tool they use against him because um, the climax of the story is is that while he thinks he's playing games, he's really commanding the fleet in an actual war and he's making decisions that no adult would ever be able to make because it's just a game to him he doesn't understand that the ships that he's commanding the 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 drones that are being sent out and the weapons that he's firing are harming actual people and that there are are men on those troop ships that he abandons while he's trying to reach his objective that get blown to bits and thousands of men are dying to reach the objective. And all he can think of in the end is that I won, I won the game. And they keep that initial, that very important part from him that he's playing with real people and that these, these things on the screen that he's playing with are, are real people. And that the enemy that he knows so well that he has uh, programmed himself in a way to, to find their ultimate weakness and to figure out how to defeat this enemy on this game is a real enemy and so at the end he's forced to to realize that what he when he was playing a game for the entire objective to win that they were using him as a as a weapon against the buggers the the formics and that using him they wipe out an entire species and so it's um one of those situations where it wasn't really his fault but he takes he takes the guilt into himself because he knows that somehow he should have known. So he thinks that somehow he should have known that they were using him as a tool. So. When it comes to war, it's it's really hard to know how to handle that from a Christian point of view. I'd be interested in hearing some of your thoughts on that from a scriptural point of view. It does. Uh, we do have both the Old and the New Testament to pull from, and the Is- Israelites in, were led in battle many, many times against evil generations, and God himself strikes judgment upon very evil and wicked cities and wipes them out, Mal- man, women, and child. It's He just wipes them out. And part of that, I think, was... Uh, the, with atheists a lot like to use that against Christians, you know, we have a very terrible God that goes and wipes out all of these people. But I think in a way, we have to remember that we are all subject to God's judgment. He is a holy and just God. And when he looks down on earth, all he sees is sin. And sometimes the sin is just so horrible, that it, it just it has to be wiped away from his presence. And It's, it's sad to think of the world that way. I mean, he himself, God was responsible for a worldwide flood that wiped out everybody except the eight people on the ark. But it was salvation that he saved eight people. And when he, when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt and and he killed all of the firstborn there in, in Egypt, the ones that did not follow God's instructions on how to save their children or save their firstborn, they were also wiped out, um, anyone that did not follow his instructions because he is a holy God and his vengeance and his wrath are terrible. And that's why we can be so blessed in knowing that Jesus paid the penalty of that wrath, um, in his own flesh. He was the son of God. And that was God's ultimate plan was to give us a way of salvation, not in this life because we still subject to death that the sin that we brought into the world we're we're still subject to that first death, but because of Jesus, we're not subject to the second death. And so it's, um, it's an interesting topic as to whether Christians should go into war, whether Christians should fight, uh, whether Christians should rebel against our enemies. Um, there's just a lot of really deep topics there to talk about and feel free. I mean, come to the, the comment section for this post. The show notes are going to be at are you just slash 39, um, Go ahead and come and comment on that. I'm I'm curious to see what other people have to say. Now, the culmination of the the movie really is once they tell Ender that he was really fighting the real war, that he was leading their 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 um, fleet into battle when he thought he was playing a game. Um, they tell him, you know, what does it matter? We won. That's the only thing that matters. And Ender's response to Graf at that point is the way we win matters. And it's just um, a, a real shock when you get to that, that this, this young boy has that kind of wisdom to be faced with this great guilt that has been laid upon his, his very small shoulders. And he has to turn back and tell them, listen, it's, it's not just enough that we won. We have to think about the way we win because that matters. And he had, he basically has to take the adults to task on that. Now it's interesting they kind of truncate the end of the movie to show him finding the the egg the queen egg that the buggers had left for Ender. It was a special uh message that they had been sending him in his dreams in the book. It's a little more drawn out because in the movie they have them on the the first colony uh where the buggers were were forced away when their first invasion and um uh, in the uh, book, they're actually on Eros, which is a moon around Jupiter, uh, which was a base that the, the Formics had used on one of their uh, invasions, and they had been able to clean it out and use it themselves. So they kind of had, in the book, they were on Eros, and then at the end of the movie, Ender travels to the first colony, where he finds the queen egg. In the movie, there. are the battle, the final battle takes place from the command center on the first colony. So they, they actually have uh, moved things along a little further uh, by putting him on the first colony uh, earlier on in the story. But anyway, he does find the queen egg that they left for him um, and gives him the chance to undo his great wrong by reseeding, uh the bugger race since in, in sometime in the future. Uh, and that is actually it occurs in the book kind of an af- as an afterthought kind of tucked in at the at the end after a great deal of time but in the uh book series uh it's um it's actually carried on through more books. Uh, originally when he wrote Ender's Game, the sequel was Speaker for the Dead. Uh, he's continued to write, go back and write, uh, stories. And so there's a whole Shadow series, uh, starting with Ender's Shadow. But the true sequel now has actually just come out in the last day uh, last year or two is Ender in Exile, which tells the, that takes that little portion of Ender, Uh, uh, finding the queen egg and turns it into a whole novel. So that last little bit of Ender's Game actually becomes an entire novel called Ender in Exile. And it's a self-imposed exile because he can't go home. He's the greatest military leader that humanity has ever known and he can't go home. And what they don't show in the movie is that at the end of the Formic War... Actually brings war on Earth because they had united under their effort to meet their enemies. But in the end, when that enemy is removed, then they all turn back to fighting each other. And there's this huge war on Earth in which uh, Ender's older brother Peter is steps out and takes over the world and becomes the leader of the of the world. And so they leave all of that out of the movie because there is a great deal of story that has to do with how, uh, Valentine and Peter, uh, work together through the internet or through the net in the book, uh, to, uh, basically, uh, assume adult identities and, and, uh, control popular opinion enough to be able to take seize control when the earth falls apart, because Peter sees that coming, and he is prepared to uh, take over when when things fall apart. But that is left out of the movie. It's not really as important to the title of the book and where the the point of the book was Ender and not his his brother and sister. And another really interesting turnabout that comes from that is that Valentine is no longer uh, at the end of the book, because at the end of Ender's Game, Valentine is the one who goes with Ender uh, with the Queen Egg to travel the, pla- the travel the galaxy, looking for some safe place to seed the bugger race again, and uh, and Valentine is his constant companion uh, through the f- books that follow. But in the movie, they show her still being on Earth and that he leaves her behind. So really, you can say that Ender's Game is really a story that about the ends justifying the means, and maybe. Exploring that idea of whether the end really does justify the means, because as Ender says, it does matter the way we win, not just that we win, but the way we win matters. And I think that, um, one of the most powerful aspects of Ender's game, both the book and now the movie, is that whole concept of using children to play games so that you can get an outcome that you couldn't get with real people understanding what the stakes are. And it's, um, it's a tough thing to think about because you have. Uh, I think um, I just reread the book actually right before we went. I went to see the movie. I finished the book uh, again. I've read it many times uh, over the last twenty or so years, but I I now cry when I get to that whole scene where Mazur Rotcom is uh, supposedly programming the uh, simulator to provide battles for Ender and his. Uh, under commanders to uh, work through and when they tell him that his graduation battle is coming and that there's this issue of a planet and he's going to have to figure out what to do with that and I'm, I'm crying as I'm reading the book because I know I know having already read and, and understand the end uh, over and over again that that what they're doing is they're using children to make the hard decisions because in battle, that's something a commander always has to think about: is the casualties. It's not just the, you know, the objective. It's it's how do you use the people that you have under and under you, and understanding that, the there's there's blood being spent for every objective that you reach, and in order to to make this ultimate win. They they knew that the only way that they could win it was for to have a commander who didn't take into account all of those things. Because as Ender himself says, I wouldn't have done what I had done if I had known that there were men's lives at risk. I would never have made those decisions. And it was like, that's the point. That was why we had to let you play it as a game, because we could never have played it out that way if you had known that it was real people, uh, a real fleet and a real enemy that you were going up against. Because his ultimate gift was his compassion. He truly understood people. And you see that in his, um, the group psychology that they use in in the battle school and how they form the armies and, and the way they treated him as a, as a, as a soldier coming into the, the battle school armies and as he, uh, then takes command of his own army and how he learned, learned the things that they, Did with him and he turns around and does the same thing with his own soldiers and he sees himself doing it and he questions himself. Why am I doing this? And he was doing it because it worked. It was an effective way of of leading men and make or leading boys in this case and making them do what you want them to do and forming a cohesive group that's able to trust each other and work together in in a certain way. And so there's a lot of really, you know, there's a lot of bunny trails I could take in talking about the various things that go on in Ender's Game. There's so much going on. But I think I'm going to leave it there. I want everybody to see the movie for themselves, and I want them to think critically about it. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, um, it's really hard for me to think critically about this book because... I, it's, it's become a part of my childhood. It's something I read very early on and I've read all the, the sequels and it's, um, just always been very fascinated with the way Orson Co- Scott Card develops characters. Now, one thing that, um, I did want to talk about that's kind of, uh, on, you kind of have to set the si- movie aside to talk about is Orson Scott Card as a person and the controversy that's kind of blown up around him. uh, Because of the the, uh, popularity of this movie. Now Orson Scott Card is a very popular sci-fi writer. He's also written some fantasy and some horror, but his sci-fi has always been award winning. It's always been top of the line. And he's not a scientist. He doesn't approach science fiction from a scientific point of view. He's more of a character uh, character writer. He writes characters that you really feel and you really understand and their setting and the futuristic setting. None of that really matters as much as the points he's making through the interaction of characters. He's just a master at that. But the interesting thing is that he is a Mormon. And there aren't a lot of Mormons who have gotten into the popular culture in, in the way that Orson Scott Card has. And when I found out that he was a Mormon, it was kind of a shock to me. And at the same time, I kind of went, oh, I get it. Because most of the sci-fi writers that I have read, especially in high school and college, really were anti-religion. And Orson Scott Card really approaches religion, the idea of religion with a, a sensitivity that you just don't expect in science fiction. It's usually not there. And so when you read his books, you, you kind of, the, I mean, like even in Ender's Game, if you read the novel, there's a mention that his, mo- his mom is Mormon and his dad is Catholic. And so there's this sensitivity to faith and what it does and the choices that it makes you make. And, um, and one aspect of the book that I don't even talk about in this episode was the fact that Ender was a third child because there was population control and and families were only allowed to have two kids. And he was, they were authorized to have a third child because of the genius of his brother and sister, but they weren't quite right for the program. And so they wanted to have a third option. And, the stigma that was approached with having multiple children, more than two children. Uh, But both of those two religions, both Catholics and Mormons tend to have large families because they believe in the, uh, in, in making and having big families. And so it was his parents way of, of making a religious statement, even though they waited for authorization to have a third child, they were very proud to be able to have a third child because of both of their faiths. And it's, I've just always been fascinated because Orson Scott Card has always dealt with uh, religion in such a sensitive way. Now, it's kind of gotten him in trouble because I, I don't know how many of my my listeners will know this, but there has been a boycott called against the movie Ender's Game by the gay and lesbian community because Orson Scott Card has come out in the media in the past, um, not necessarily in relation to anything having to do with this movie, but he has been uh, publicly uh, for traditional marriage and because of that stand that he's taken it has put him at odds with the the gay lesbian community and so they have called for a boycott of the movie which to me is ridiculous because really Orson Scott Card has not had anything to do with the movie and even if he did I don't understand the point of boycotting him because he has an opinion a public opinion and they that that whole concept of Calling somebody homophobic because they have a moral stance against uh, uh, a certain lifestyle doesn't necessarily it doesn't gel with me. You can't say that somebody's afraid of some of a behavior because they are disagree with the behavior that that for one thing is is just uh, propaganda. It's not realistic. In fact, most of us who, at least as Christians, I can't speak for the Mormons because I don't know what their official position is on homosexuality, but Christians. we are, um, our state, our position on homosexuality is biblical. We don't just hate homosexuals for no reason. right? We don't hate homosexuals at all. There's hates not involved. Fear is not involved. It's just that our scripture, um, the God's word, what he has told us is that homosexuality is indeed a, um, a lifestyle that is frowned upon. It's, it's, um, a, a way of living out a sinful desire. And because of that, we are told to avoid it, that it's not that it's not supposed to be in a God honoring um, life and it's sin. But our position that we have is not that we hate homosexuals or desire them to have to be harmed in any way. It's that we truly wish them to understand that what they are doing is sin and that they need to repent and seek God. Uh, in a way that will uh, change their lives and turn them into um, godly people, worthy of the holiness of God. And it's not—it's love. As as Ender loves his enemies, it's it's um it's the way we are to approach homosexuals in love, not love that that is all inclusive, in saying do whatever you want. It's love that hey, this behavior is destructive. It is destructive to your soul. It is destructive to your body, and we we hope, would love to see you turn away from that, um, turn away from the self-destruction that, that you are going into. But it's not in any context that says that homosexuality is worse than any other sin, because we're all sinners. We all have a, a sinful desire that is um, particular to us. Every, every single one of us, even those of us who are born again Christians struggle with some sinful desire. And so it isn't not it isn't that we are pointing out at homosexuals and saying they're worse than everybody else it's that they by the grace of god go i we the only thing that has prevented us from being living in in, a, in sin ourselves is the grace of god and we just want to share that grace with homosexuals and 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 it's not just a matter of Telling them they're sinners, it's, it's because we love them and that we want them to turn away from that sin. So it's the exact opposite of homophobia. I don't ex- really understand where that word came from. It is truly a desire to love them into the kingdom of God. And sometimes you have to love the sinner and hate the sin. Um, but that's all I'm going to deal with that. I, it's kind of been an issue that has kind of blown up on some of the noodle mix. Uh, podcasts, and so I thought I, because in because Orson Scott Card has been publicly ridiculed because of his stance against homosexuals and for traditional marriage, I thought this was a good time to talk about it. And I, I mean, you guys are welcome to uh, respond to this in the comments to the show notes on on this particular episode. But I do want you to understand that this is not a fear or a hate issue speaking. I am not speaking hatefully against homosexuals. You may hear it that way, but that's not the way I intend this to be. I am just telling you the way it it is in Scripture. And that I I wish no one any harm. And I only wish that you could understand the loving grace of God and be able to uh, turn away from that sin that has pulled you away from him because he is holy and he cannot abide sin. And you, I don't want to doom you to hell. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. I don't think God wants anybody to to see anybody go to hell. In John three sixteen, uh, Jesus was talking to um, a religious leader, and he's and he said that God loved the whole world. He loves the whole world, and it's uh, it's a very popular verse. But I'm not sure exactly whether uh, people really listen to it, really understand what it says. For God so loved the whole world, that he gave his only Son so that we might not perish that we would have a everlasting life that was the whole purpose that jesus came to earth was so that we would not die and be doomed by our sins and so it isn't hate my friends it isn't hate none of us hate you no one hates you god loves you hey did you see that And the best news is I think we found a place. Honey, that is so great. Did you say we found a place? Yeah. We can't afford a place on our own, so we found one together. Together? Yeah. That way the rent's totally affordable. I can cover my half with a work-study job, and it's right next to school. Plus, it'll save you having to pay for university housing this year. You don't honestly think I'm going to let you do this, do you? Let me i'm 19 exactly my point far too young to be moving in with someone really because i was old enough to sign the lease and weren't you living with your girlfriend when you were 19 yes but that was different how okay i have to admit guilty pleasure i love the tv show castle i've always loved the interaction between uh Castle and Richard Castle and his daughter. And we've seen through the multiple seasons of this TV show how they have, uh, how he's raised this very sweet young lady uh, into a grown woman. That this is a very interesting scene because as she has now gotten old enough to go to college, she's now old enough to be on her own, make her own decisions. She's starting to reflect a little bit of the lack of morality that Castle has portrayed in his own life. And he's trying to be a good father and put his foot down and make sure that she is a a good woman, that she lives without making the mistakes he made. But his example uh, is not all that great. I think it's interesting in, um, in Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Castle is kind of... Uh, He's basically being forced to to realize that the mistakes he's made and the carelessness and the lack of morality in his own life that he's lived in front of his daughter is coming back to haunt him now that she's old enough to be making her own decisions because he really has no response. I mean, when she asks him, why is it different for me than it was for you? Uh, he doesn't really have an answer. And in fact, if, as we continue on through episodes, uh, this was actually a couple weeks ago, this episode, um, uh, we find out that it's caused a rift between them because he he's disapproving, but he has no real leg to stand on in disapproving of what she's doing because it's what he did. And he has no moral grounds on which to uh, stand up against what the decisions she's making are. So this is a good reminder to us as parents or as mentors to children in this society is that they are going to make decisions based on what we do, not on what we say, so it's a good reminder that if you can't answer the question why, then you better be careful about the stand you take. And this is not to say that her moving in with her boyfriend is a good idea, and I would be against it as well. But Castle, because he does not have a moral leg to stand on, has no reason to give her as to why she shouldn't do it. Make sure you have your reason straight. Don't just say, but it's just because. You better have a reason. You better be able to go back to the Word of God and having lived your life based on your, your morals that were given to you by your God, then you could be an example to your children. But if you don't have if you haven't lived them yourself, if you don't have a moral standard, then you can't expect your kids to have a moral standard. Well, that's it for this episode. Do feel free to come and leave us some feedback in the show notes. Those again are at are you just watching.com slash 39. You can also Go ahead and contribute to the Did You See That segment. I really dearly love to not put my voice in that segment. I'd like to hear what you guys are, what my listeners are hearing and, and seeing and uh, critically thinking about in their own entertainment. So you can give us those in, by calling 903-231-2221 and leaving it in a voicemail or you can record your own and send it to us by email at feedback at are you just uh, go ahead, attach an audio file to that. If you just want to write it out as a script and send it to me, I'll read it. But the point of this is really to get someone else's voice in the podcast. So I would love to, uh, get submissions, audio submissions from you for this. You can also go directly to, if, if you're in the show notes to our episodes, you'll see there's a send a voicemail message link on the side of the page. You can click on that and record directly into, uh, an audio message there, which is terrific. Um, make use of that. You can follow me on Twitter. It's a uh, twitter.com slash Eve Franklin. You can also like our page on Facebook. I highly recommend you do that because I always post something on Facebook when I'm going to see a movie or when I'm getting ready to record and when I get an episode out, I always uh, put a link to the to it on the Facebook page. Love to get some comments going on our Facebook page, kind of get people talking about uh, what we're doing here in this podcast. The big news is while I'm recording this episode, we are currently nominated for the religious inspiration award with the podcast awards and the voting you can vote daily is going on right now it goes on from november 1st through november 15th daily so i highly encourage you to to come to the show notes there's information about how to vote right there in the show notes you can do that you can also check out our facebook page or even just follow me on twitter i'm trying to send out daily reminders to vote um, through my twitter account so I just please help me out. This would be terrific to be able to win an award with this podcast. It has not won any awards up to this point and I know I'm not as regular in getting episodes out this year as I would like to be, but I intend to keep this going for as long as I'm capable of doing it. So please do that. Also, if you click on the links to books and movies that are in the show notes, they go to Amazon.com and they actually have an affiliate link. So if you end up buying it from Amazon.com after clicking on it from our website, um, proceeds of that sale come to help our podcast. And I do this for free. I make no money at this. And, uh, any proceeds actually go to the noodle mix network to cover the cost of maintaining the website and, and keeping this, uh, podcast on the air. So we really, really appreciate any, um, affiliate, uh, purchases that you can make through amazon.com would be terrific. It really would help us out a lot and just in equipment and maintain maintenance of the website. So, uh, Please help us out with that. And I hope that this has been uh, an instructive episode to you. I hope you go and see Ender's Game. I really hope you read the book. Get involved in Orson Scott Card's uh, novel writing because he, he has some really fabulous novels out there. Once you've read Ender's Game, there's The Speaker for the Dead uh, is the Ender sequel. And then there's also the Shadow, uh, Ender Shadow and the Shadow books that follow that, that follow uh, the other boys that are with Ender in the Battle uh, battle school. So please go ahead and check that out when you go to Amazon.com through the links on the show notes. I'm Eve Franklin, and I'm really glad that you came and listened to this episode on the movie I've been waiting on for. It seems like forever, Ender's Game. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching As a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx.